What can fantasy baseball managers in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues be doing at this point in the offseason? And what is the optimal strategy to take in these formats? We'll be discussing with Mike Mayer in an offseason Dynasty edition of Leading Off. I guess I'm not actually sure we can call it Leading Off. I mean, it's the Fantasy Bros baseball show, the Fantasy Pros MLB podcast, however you want to refer to it as. I'm going with Leading Off, Mike. Yeah, I think we can call it whatever we want. And if we want to just steal leading off, even though, you know, we're leading off a Thursday evening, maybe we're leading off the second World Series game. We can just lead off whatever we want. Yep. This is, uh, for those listening just audio wise, this is Brennan Tuma talking at Too Much Tuma. With me is Mike Mayer at Mike Mayer. We're recording this Wednesday night. We're live on YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern. Game two of the World Series is about to start i was all ready to brag about how the bosses aren't here we can do whatever we want and then at 801 dan harris has a comment in the chat making me nervous but he's not going to stick around for the full hour no, he, he can't not. handle an hour of baseball talk in the offseason no he can't handle an hour anytime anything he's plus joe just went live in discord doing another chat he's definitely gonna have to keep an eye on that so he's not gonna worry about our little baseball podcast while he's got to worry about whatever joe's saying in discord that's true that's true as well so uh tonight yeah look i'm gonna be like dead honest a little behind the scenes here it's early in the off season it is late october it you know, as much as I would love it's to technically okay. not even the off season yet. <laughs> That's true. It's technically uh, Dan just said this is an hour. OK, let's let's talk through this quickly. This might be 40 minutes. It might be 45, 50. Mike and I are just going to see how it goes. But uh, I do think, obviously, it's very early and we don't want to, you know, go too hard in the paint too early in the game. And so tonight we Mike and I play in multiple dynasty leagues together. We're going to kind of talk about, you know, that's what's relevant right now. in in late October is, you know, dynasty leagues, keeper leagues, and we're just going to talk some general strategy. And then I chose five who I would consider polarizing players, especially in these formats. And Mike and I are just going to talk through those. And we're kind of going to see how that goes. Is, Is that what you had in mind as well, Mike? Absolutely, because that's what you told me you had in mind, and you're the boss. I'm just here for uh, filler, so you're not talking to yourself. Me, by the way, again, like a little more behind the scenes, me being the boss of this show has basically been begging Dan since the final episode to to let us uh, to let us do this. Basically, so uh, that's how I walked into this power. And also, like begging me to to actually show up and do it when I just keep telling you I'm too busy, but you just bugged us both enough to make it happen. And so here we are and all the credit goes to you. General strategy. This is what I want to start with, Mike. So like in a sentence, okay, you can expand a little bit, of course, but you know, if someone comes to you and they say, you know, Hey, this is my first time playing in a dynasty keeper league. You know, what is your advice? Or if, you know, someone who maybe is listening and they've played in this type of format for years and they kind of just want to sharpen their skills and kind of refine their process. What are you telling them? What are you giving them? So I had a bunch and it's it was hard to kind of like, you know, pare down or select only one. And I also read what you wrote in the sheet, which is pretty much what I would say. So I'm not going to steal yours. I'm going to let you say that one. Um, uh, similar to what you were going to say is I was going to say, have a plan, but be adaptable. Like you definitely want to have a focus going in and not just 
I think a lot of people think they can just go play dynasty and kind of treat it like redraft, but then also, you know, expect that, you know, you're going to be able to like draft young players and like build your team going forward. I think you should have a clear strategy. Like, am I competing this year or am I leaning to next year? And like, don't be in the middle. And I think if someone was asking me just specifically for like a first year draft, not like a first year rookie draft, but like the first year of drafting a dynasty, I would, I would tell that person focus more on value and assets than, than like prospects and age because veterans are going to fall and don't be afraid to draft them. Like you don't think you have to draft that guy in low a just because he's, you know, the number three overall prospect when these 30 year old all-stars are available, because even if things don't go well for your team, that player is now an asset in the midseason that you can flip for probably a better prospect. Yeah. So lots to unpack there. For, for starters, I love dynasty leagues. And I think one of the most fun things I've ever done in fantasy baseball is those uh, to start a dynasty or keep a league is that first year initial draft because even more so than redraft you, you literally you feel like a gm because you're kind of deciding am i going to you know go all in this year draft a bunch of veterans totally ignore prospects or am i you know from the get-go gonna be you know playing for the future and then you know there's I, i'm sure you and i both have thoughts on those opposite directions and you know there's pros and cons for each of them but i agree with you it's I think kind of the worst place to be. I used to call it the Atlanta Hawks back when I used to follow the NBA. Just felt like they were always like the five seed or the six seed and they would get bounced in the first round, but they weren't bad enough to the point where they were getting a top draft pick, but they also weren't good enough to win the championship. And I I do think teams kind of get stuck in that in dynasty and keeper league. So my number one piece of advice is to choose a direction. The goal more so than in, in redraft league, because obviously redraft is only one year. So the sample size is smaller to build a dominant team. If you're really good at dynasty and you get a few lucky breaks, you can build a dominant team for a few years and that should be your goal. And if you don't have that, your goal should be to get that. And I, I kind of think like the best way to do that is, you know, it's, you don't necessarily need to tank, but you want to be turning over older players for younger players at the expense of, you know, wins that season. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also uh, a little disappointed that you made an NBA reference and literally described the pre-processed Sixers, but gave the credit to the Atlanta Hawks. The The, the Sixers literally, and I don't want to keep saying the word literally, but they launched the process because of what you were talking about. They were like this mid like this, you know, mid-round playoff team that was always like the five seed or the six seed. And that's what spurred the the process. So give some credit and respect to the Sixers, even though that process has gone horribly. We have a, a Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons history lesson coming here uh, for Mr. Mayor. So I think uh, kind of like to your point a bit about, you know, choosing a direction and kind of going for that. Is that something that you and your teams, and again, we're playing in leagues together. And I think you and I have had off air discussions about what we think are optimal strategies and whatnot. So that first year draft that you're doing, is there typically a direction that you prefer to go or is it, you know, the, the cliche boring answer maybe of let the draft fall to you. So I wouldn't say necessarily let the draft fall to you because you can't just sit there and look at your your rankings like they're redrafts. You have to look at the future. And like, so there's going to be times where 
you know, maybe this 28 year old, 29 year old player in redraft would go one to two rounds before a player two or three years younger. And you most, a lot of times you want to take that younger player just because you want his production this year, but then also for the next like five years. Um, and I'm struggling to come up with like an example, but maybe like before this year, maybe like two years ago, like you probably would take Rafael Devers before Nolan Arenado, even though two years ago, Arenado was probably, you know, like a, a round ahead of, of Devers. But, you know, that's like an example of like a really young player versus an, a veteran when like the rankings are probably close. You want to go with the young player. But I try not to go too deep into prospects, but not also not have like a really old team, but just kind of like like letting the draft fall to you is like such a cop out. So so you can't say that, but you kind of just, you know, want to like draft the best team possible, but also like just keep an eye on age and the future, like as you're going, which is like yeah, not a, actually, a fancy answer, but you know. I actually have a, a great way to phrase this. And I want to say uh, Scott White of CBS is, is who gets the credit for this, who I heard say this, but he described it as always playing for tomorrow. And if you are always playing for tomorrow, then that window for you is never going to fully shut. And that doesn't mean playing for tomorrow. That doesn't mean trade Jacob deGrom for Grayson Rodriguez. You know, when he says tomorrow, he's not saying play for, you know, next year or anything, but uh, again, I the only, <laughs> I play in a keeper football league and I recently pulled off a trade where I traded Travis Kelsey for Kyle Pitts and draft picks. And I know, Yes, this is our Dynasty Baseball episode, and so far we've done an NBA and an NFL reference, but bear with me here because I just didn't have as good of a, a baseball reference. But but that move, yes, like technically at the time, this was like a few weeks ago before, you know, Pitt's quote-unquote broke out. But at the time, I was giving up a little, or I was giving up a decent amount probably for this season, yes, but... You know, someone like Pitts, who is so much younger, is just going to give me such a longer window and you pick up other stuff on top of it. So uh, that idea of like playing for tomorrow and just not wanting to be left holding the bag, I think is really important in these leagues. Yeah. And that's interesting. You know, that's interesting trade in in football just because of the position there, too, because like even as a a rookie first year player in, you know, for fantasy purposes, Kyle Pitts is already like a top five player at the position or, you know, potentially could be like even this year, like forget going forward, but like he could finish as a top five tight end, maybe even higher if he keeps, you know, keeps the recent trend going. So that's an even better trade. You know, obviously Kelsey's like Mr. Reliable at the tight end position, but it's such a shallow position where if like, if you're trading him in a dynasty football league and you could replace him with a, you know, easy tight end one, I mean, that's pretty easy. I mean, in dynasty, like the equivalent of Kyle Pitts would be someone kind of like maybe Will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers, like a, the catcher position, tight end position. You know, you trade like a, you know, a top three, you know, like it's like, like trading real- like Real Muto for, for Will Smith is kind of like the equivalent there. Yeah. And if you can do it in a way where, uh, you know, you're, you're trading with someone who's more so competing that year, you can get, you know, possibly Will Smith plus type thing. So I kind of call those like look ahead trades, moving forward trades. And those are the ones I always want to be making just because I always want to have in dynasty leagues, like trading is just so much more important. So I always want to have some sort of control over the market. I mean, like Mike, you and I play in these dynasty leagues. Who does everyone want? Everyone wants Bo Bichette. Everyone wants Jordan Alvarez, you know, like these young 
players that, you know, you can, if you have them, you can make a move, but you don't necessarily have to. And if your team is, you know, full of aging, you know, players, it's good. And then you go to teams trying to make trades, like no one's going to want those players on your team. So that's kind of why I say that always play for tomorrow idea, because if you always have the younger players and I'm not, again, I'm not talking like 19 year old prospects, as you mentioned, but if you just have like interesting players, you're always going to be able to be in some sort of control of the trade market. And I think the best example of this in like real baseball was the Dodgers before they made the Mookie Betts trade. Like they didn't have to do that trade necessarily, but because they just, you know, they were competing, but they were also stockpiling these younger players and prospects. Like they were able to make that trade. So like, I never want to feel like I have to make a move in a dynasty or keeper league, but like, I always want that ability to make a move. And because of that, you constantly need to make sure, you know, you're getting younger, I think. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned those two players because I just won one of our dynasty leagues, and I have both of those players. I have Bobuchet and Jordan, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, but yeah. Was, if you're gonna I, model, go ahead. I know. I was as I was saying those names, I that did cross my mind. I was like, I'm pretty sure Mike has both of these, and maybe, maybe that's why they came to mind. Maybe, but yeah, if you're if you're trying to model like your dynasty strategy over like or based on like a real life team, the Dodgers are are like what you're looking for, like. You can maybe scrape together a San Francisco Giants roster and just hope that you can make a click the way they do. But like if you have those high high end players and that great kind of like, you know, young farm system coming up, like that's what you want. That's perfect for, you know, dynasty. But it obviously everything we're talking about tonight depends on your league and your format and your roster size. And so that's why it's sometimes hard to talk about dynasty because like for for just for the audience like our two we play in two almost identical leagues because i copied one to create another one um but ours is 40 man rosters 30 keepers and so that's a pretty big roster considering you only start about half of those but there are dynasty leagues with 100 roster spots where you're you know and there's debbie leagues where you know you're just rostering like low a guys everywhere like i kind of think of dynasty as like you have a deep bench, but it's limited depending on what, like you can't just, you know, compete and have every young prospect because you just don't have the roster space to compete, you know, every day, depending on, you know, your league settings. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's a perfect segue actually into what I was about to go into, which is kind of some of this format specific stuff and prospects in general. And again, yeah, like you said, like every dynasty league is going to be different and baseball's like that too, just compared to football, you know, football, sure. There's like PPR standard, like whatever, but like baseball, there's, there's Roto and there's head to head categories and there's head to head points. And then when you add these keeper elements and, you know, dynasty elements and like, I put my favorite uh, keeper league that I play in is actually one I, I share with my dad. It's, it's 14 teams and you keep nine players, but then you keep for minor leaguers it's called like the farm system so you have those like devoted minor league spots whereas in your in uh, whereas in the leagues that we play together there's no official minor league spots you can have minor leaguers on your bench or you can just have a deeper bench full of major league players and again like those are just two examples but you know listeners if they are playing in keeper dynasty leagues are going to have even more examples i'm sure in our format i think you know I, i'm gonna know the answer to this but like if it is just bench spots how have you 
navigated again we've only been in these leagues a few years and I, I think there's a steep learning curve to figuring out the optimal strategy but like has anything come to your like your attention just prospects wise um i don't know if it's come to my attention or it's just kind of like become my strategy is and again this is kind of specific to our leagues and and the limited bench that we have because like i said they are deep but they're not super deep like some other dynasty leagues and it I don't like to wait more than two years for a prospect. And I know that kind of like goes against the whole like mantra of dynasty leagues where you like drafting the youngest players and like waiting to build your dynasty. But like the, the fail rate for some of those really young, like first year players is so high. And also sometimes like, even if the it's successful, it could take so, so long for them to get to the majors and so much can happen in the interim with your team that I just don't like tying up a roster spot for that long. So like, we're not talking about like waiting two years for Bobby Witt because obviously that's fine. But those really like, like low a guys that are going to be even like the top ones that are going to be like three or four years out. I don't like to wait for them because I don't like to waste that roster spot, especially considering it's not like three years, four years. And then, okay, he's guaranteed good. You could waste five years on a guy and then he's just not there. And you've wasted not five years of your life, but you've wasted five years of a valuable roster spot that's probably hurt you while you're, uh, you know, to compete in your league. Yeah. And I wanted to add on that. I hope, you know, people listening to this don't view this as just Mike and I talking about like our leagues, but uh, we talked about, you know, this ahead of time, but we wanted to use examples from the leagues that we play in because you know i think that it can help you know listeners kind of sort out okay my league is different in this sense so how should i adjust so it's like just to provide even more context like these leagues are mike said 40 uh roster spots and you keep 30 i consider that dynasty it's 12 teams you know there might be there are people who play in 24 team leagues so those the the value of prospects at that point obviously becomes greater even if you don't have you know devoted minor league spots where it's like what where Mike and I are learning I think is that in these 12 team leagues is that it's not deep enough to you know again to the point where those 19 year olds in low A are necessarily worth it holding on to forever but I do just want to add on, on the top of that. There are obviously people who play in even deeper leagues uh, again, you know, probably up to 24, you know, maybe 30 uh, team leagues where you really need to be on top of those extremely young guys, because that's, you know, your only path to, to getting them because you're not going to, you know, luck out necessarily on the waiver wire when there's nothing there. Yeah. And even the ones that don't have those like, like 20 something teams, there's, there are a ton out there and we got, you and I both on like Twitter got a ton of questions about dynasty leagues this year, especially, you know, coming around like draft time and that kind of stuff where it's only like 12, 15 teams, but it's 80 roster spots. And then, you know, those low guys definitely matter because they're just, you know, you're not going to like in our league, like one of my other pieces of advice is like, don't really worry about relievers. Cause like that position changes so much year over year that you don't have to worry about them. In a league like that, you do have to worry about them because there's there's a guy out there or a manager out there with 25 relievers like on their bench. And the same thing with like prospects and like finding young players. If the rosters are that deep, you have to worry about those first year players. And then that's where the strategy of like draft picks comes, you know, becomes more important because in our leagues, 
you stash a lot of draft picks. I trade a lot of draft picks because I you see it as like the a first round pick and a first crack at like a Spencer Torkelson. I look at it as a 31st round pick. Um considering, you know, like play, you know, roster, you know, the pool of players available. And so that's an interesting way to think of think about it. It's like how deep your league is, whether or not that's a, a first crack at a really valuable player, or it's really just like a deep late round pick and you can find other value elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, again, just, you know, adding in context throughout this conversation, which I know when I listen to podcasts like this, you know, whether it's uh, about, you know, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, it helpful to me. So I want to add it in. Uh, this is very, you know, we're talking very abstract right now. We're talking very macro, very big picture. And, but in general, I would say then like, yeah, the deeper the leagues get the more important prospecting and, you know, sifting through, you know, 80 through hundred on baseball America midseason update, you know, who fell off, who got added on. Like that's when that stuff becomes more important. And yeah, especially for prospects, uh, you know, especially for pitchers, I think, because I have two more, you know, abstract questions here to ask you, Mike. And, and one of them is hitters versus pitchers, not just in terms of prospect, but in veterans and building your dynasty rosters as a whole, do you have a lean one way or the other? I feel like I do, but I also feel like I change my mind like almost year to year, um, depending on, depending on like the, the league and the pool of players. I think before I would definitely lean hitting, but as the years go on and the kind of like, you know, what we're seeing in baseball, like that kind of like a elite top tier pitching tier or pool or whatever you want to call it is really shrinking. And what's everyone looking for at the trade deadline pitching. And so if I can, you know, I, if, if we're talking first year draft, I usually go hitter hitter and load up on like two really good young hitters, like, like Bob Bichette and Jordan Alvarez, but then maybe draft like three or four pitchers in a row and, you know, really load up my, you know, my pen of pitchers with, you know, high end top tier guys, but then also like high end younger guys that, you know, like a Tariq Skubal who I wouldn't, you know, draft that high, but, you know, younger pitchers who are definitely on the upswing like that. I like to have like a full stable of, of go of, you know, guys like those because reliable pitching is just so hard to find, especially like in the middle of the season. And so if you can have just like a, a full roster, like, I feel like even in like deeper dynasty leagues, you can find a hitter to start for a couple weeks in, in the, you know, in a pinch, you know, there's going to be guys that come out of nowhere that, you know, you can just start for a couple of weeks, even if it's like a Robbie Grossman or something. Um, and it's so much harder to find that pitching during the season. So if you can have a, you know, a deeper staff, that's kind of where I've been leaning uh, the last few years. Yeah, I think this is, is true in redraft as well. But I think, you know, high end starting pitchers on a single year basis can make the big can have the biggest edge, you know, like you look at the 2019 season, the two most valuable players in fantasy baseball were Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. And they finished one, two in the Cy Young. And so if you have the best pitcher that might give you the biggest edge, but what we see year to year is those best pitchers aren't uh, their, you know, end of year results aren't as sticky as necessarily the best hitters would be so so again yeah it comes down to you know that that philosophy i would argue that you know investing more in starting pitching would give you more 
volatile team where if, if all those pitchers hit, you're going to be looking, you know, downright amazing. Even if, you know, half of them hit, one could argue. Whereas if you build more through hitting, you're going to kind of at least be in the mix every year. And then, you know, you, you got to scrape the bottom of the barrel more so with pitchers. But I would also argue, and this is my preferred format, uh, I call it like the Cubs model. When the Cubs had their big rebuild it was you know they built it through hitting initially they traded for Rizzo and drafted Bryant and Schwarber and those guys and then they they bought their pitchers uh you know they they bought Lester and they had some you know savvy trades work out with Arietta and Kyle Hendricks and that's kind of the dynasty blueprint that I like to follow as well I want to have I want to know year over year I have this group of hitters that's just going to you know keep me uber competitive in offensive categories and then you know, come, uh, and then again, like I, I'm, I am bigger on the, like the prospects. So I try to like use those as trade bait. And then I want to buy the pitchers, whether it's, you know, before the season or, or mid or mid season, which is, you know, hopefully when I know I'm competing, you know, coming up to the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it's definitely like a, you know, whether you're talking first year or like year over year, like how to build your team, like you definitely want the young hitters. I've just been, and it's almost like kind of like backwards to to talk about it because like the league that we're in that I ended up winning, like I had really deep pitching, but they almost all of them got hurt. And like I had Shane Bieber and DeGrom and Glassnow and uh, I'm trying to think of who else, like I think Aaron Nola who didn't get hurt just stunk. Um, so I had what like going into the season, what I thought was like a really deep staff and ended up kind of like, riding my really good hitting and piecing it together with like Ranger Suarez and Scooble and Cal Quantrill and, and like that kind of stuff. So it's almost like backwards of what I was just arguing, but I think my team was deep enough that I was able to like survive that stuff. Whereas going into the year, I was like, I'm so deep at pitching, like nothing can happen. That'll, that'll deter me. And then everything happened that deterred me. It would have been so funny, just a great September leading off reference if you just started listing off Cleveland uh, starting oh, pitchers yeah. <laughs> as, oh, I had Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie and, and Zach Plesak. I don't even know who else. I can't even remember at this point who else they had down the stretch. But but yeah, so obviously, you know, there, there are multiple paths to, you know, having a strong team. And I get it comes back to kind of bringing it full circle to what we said up front is uh, you, you just got to have a direction, I think. And even if it, you know, is the hitting versus pitching thing, it doesn't mean you got to go 100% one way or the other. But if your team is just kind of like, oh, you got some aging stars, maybe you have one young stud, and then you got like, you know, you're trying to compete, but you got a, a bunch of prospects on your bench. Like, you know, I really don't think that that is the way to go. It really just comes down to having that clear direction. And if you don't have it, like, don't be afraid to, you know, hit the alarm button and go into full cell Astros Cubs rebuild. I, I like all these uh, <laughs> pro sport league references we're dropping here, whether it's the process or, you know, the Cubs Dodgers models, but, but that's, that's why dynasty leagues are fun. I think because you, you can feel a little bit more like an actual GM. Wasn't there like a post Moneyball book written about the Astros, like Astro ball or something. I think someone. Wrote yeah. That. I read it. Yeah. Yeah. There it was. Uh, all right. 
So, so again, that, that is just, I mean, we, I'm sure like, I know I could, um, we could go, you know, for even longer on, you know, talking theoretical and abstract and things like that, but uh, to keep us moving, because in the chat earlier, Dan, uh, in astonishment asked, this is an hour. So we're going to keep it moving along here. We're about, you know, half an hour in. He's gone. Uh, Yeah, no, that's true. So uh, just catching up on some comments, Bill King, you know, he said he started calling his a keeper league rather than the dynasty after talking to us because uh, he only had five bench spots, including for the guys in the minors. And yeah, you know, there would be, you know, hardcore dynasty players, Mike, that look at our uh, leagues on fan tracks and they would say, you know, that that's a keeper league. It's not even a dynasty. league. I think they're dynasty, but I get how one could argue otherwise. I think if you're keeping more than 30, you know, 30 players, I think it's a dynasty, but I, uh, you know, the line between the two is uh pretty blurred these days agreed so all right i picked five players and we can you know we'll see how much time that these guys take us but i picked five players who i just thought are fun to talk about for dynasty leagues right now and uh you know might be interesting to evaluate and you have mentioned that you won one of the leagues we're in together so i gotta get you back here because i know this first player you have in the dan harris league which is you know obviously much more of a keeper league but you have this player for a lot of money due uh in a salary cap format for next season and mike why don't you let everyone know who that player is not only that i also have him in another keeper league and in one of our two dynasty leagues unsurprisingly i did not win the dynasty league where i have this player in that player is everyone's favorite player christian yelich who is a real dynasty conundrum right now. Yeah. Again, before the year we did, one of our leagues was new in 2021 and Yelich. I can't remember if he was a first round pick. He must've at least been a top two round pick though. I don't know if you have, you know, just thoughts in general on what, what's going on with him and, and how you literally are handling him in your leagues. Uh, I'm panicking big time, especially in, our league that does not have a huge budget and I have a huge, huge salary commitment to him based on our budget. What's, what's our budget? Like 200 something, 240, 260, 240. something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's not considering the amount of players that you need. I have Christian Yelich for $44, which is expensive. Like the top players go like 50, uh, I forget what the highest players were, but like, I don't think anyone went higher than like 55. So 44 is a lot of money. And it's, it's a, it's a auction keeper league where you kind of have to like sign players to extensions. And I could have signed him to a one-year deal and let him go, but I chose to extend him for more money. And that turned out to be probably the worst decision anyone made in our league this, this season. And now I have to figure out what to do. Uh, we were talking about it in our group text with Dan the other day, and I'm probably going to have to. So in our league, I have the ability to cut him, but I have to eat half of his salary. So I have to like forfeit $22. And honestly, that $22 savings is probably worth more to me than Christian Yelich right now. And that's bad. Yeah, I was just ballparking. I know Dan was chirping me in here before about the dynasty rankings, and and don't worry, they're coming. I, I have a whole big plan. It's happening, Dan. We're doing off-season shows. It's coming. Everyone settle. But 
Uh, he was talking about football rankings. There was a question before about football rankings. Oh, I thought he was chapping me about dynasty baseball rankings. So I someone just was asking about even... football rankings, and he was saying that you don't even do them. Okay, so I was okay. I do rest of season rankings. That that is what we agreed to, uh, Mister <laughs> Boss Man, but not weekly rankings. Uh, okay. Anyways, uh, just rough draft. Looking <laughs> at looking at my current dynasty baseball rankings. I I, I think Yelich is um, you know borderline outside the top. Hundred, And I think the reason is just like physically, he just isn't there. I mean, like you look back at his 2018, 19 highlights. I mean, he is hyper athletic and, and, you know, he's, he has back issues and it's not like the, I think one of the more underrated parts of, you know, just fantasy in general is understanding injuries and not just, you know, Oh, he broke a bone. It's going to heal. It's going to come back. Like Yelich's back issues are looking like they're chronic, you know, Clayton Kershaw, that's what derailed the second half of, his career as well. And so, so that's my concern for Yelich. You look at baseball savant, the X slug is 382. That is hideous for what it used to be at his 2018, 19 apex. And the reason I'm convinced that this is all physical for Yelich is because his plate discipline, you know, he doesn't chase pitches 96th percentile and uh, his walk rate is 98th percentile. So he's seeing the ball as well. I just think when he swings, he he just doesn't have it the way he used to. Yeah. It's, it's any kind of like power metric that you look at it for him. It's bad. Like it's all down. And I look at, I just pulled up his fan graphs, fan graphs while you were talking. And so his two like real breakout years, his post Marlin, years his first two years with the with the uh, brewers 36 home runs home run to fly ball rate 35 percent to that that was 2018 2019 44 home runs home run to fly ball late uh rate was a little bit lower 32.8 percent in 2021 it was 13.2 percent 13.2 so it was from mid-30s to mid-teens low teens yeah now, now, all this being said, that you could make a case that, okay, he was dealing with the back this year. Now he has the whole offseason to recover. Can he get back to, you know, to what he once was? You can make a case for that, and you can make a case that maybe it won't be as bad. I would argue that you know, just your typical you know, dynasty fantasy baseball manager might you know, have that hope that he can get back to what it was more so than I personally believe. Again, this is even if Yelich improves at all. So I kind of would highlight him as a sell low. I think it would almost be a bit of a savvy move for you to just forfeit that $22 in in that particular league. But but yeah, those are the Yelich thoughts, I think. And again, I don't want us to spend too much time on each of these players, but uh, it, it is quite the conundrum that you are in, my friend. Yeah, it is. And you know what? And I don't want to go too much longer on him, but like, you know what kind of concerns me a little bit about him? And is that like when he was like a younger up and coming player, like he wasn't a power hitter. And then he started developing a little bit of power and he really hit his prime. And then he left the Marlins and then he took off in that, you know, that Brewers ballpark and with that Brewers team and he broke out and he hasn't been that guy the last two years. And I just don't know if he's ever going to be that player again. And, you know, and I don't know, like, even as like an eight, you know, he's not that old. He's like 29 turning 30. But like, it's like, I don't know that he's going to get back to that 30 plus home run player. No matter what happens, like, even if he comes back fully healthy, I just don't know if he's that if he's there anymore. And yeah, are we worried that those two years were like outliers? Yeah, you could argue that they would have been outliers, even if he stayed fully healthy. Uh 
going to mix up the order here because ironically enough, Riley here asked a question about where we have, you know, Kelnick next year and beyond. And that was one of, uh, yeah, that was one of our, our five players here to discuss. So we'll just quickly get into Jared Kelnick. Obviously, the season long numbers were hideous. He hit 181 with a 28.1% strikeout rate. You could argue he got a little unlucky, but even the expected Woba was 307, which is just hideous. It's the bottom 27th percentile of the league. So you can't blame all the results on that, no matter how you dice it up. There was some positives towards the end of the year in September. He had a 135 WRC plus, meaning he was 35% better than league average. And he had seven homers and three steals in that month. So that's kind of the power speed that people were hoping for, but I don't know, initial Kelnick impressions and how you would handle him, you know, in keeper and dynasty leagues. Uh, initial impressions, bad. It was bad. Um, but he's just a baby. He's just a baby. And so, like, it's, he's not this, like, player that came up and, like, looked good and then completely flopped. Like, he came up and flopped immediately. And then he went down and looked great again. And then he came up and he kind of flopped again and then kind of looked okay. And you know what that is? That's a young player who just needs more time to get better. Like he's, he didn't have a ton of time in the minors. Um, we had that like lost 2020 season. And I just, it, to me, he was not good, but he also just, it just felt like a young player who needed more time. And so I'm still bullish on him long-term. And I think a lot of people still are. Yeah. Again, so if we're giving you a little uh, piece of advice here for Yelich, I I personally think he's a sell low. My take on Kelnick is that it's a firm hold. The only way that I would be looking or willing to trade Kelnick in a keeper in Dynasty League is if someone was paying me April 2021 value for him. Yeah, you're paying full price. If if I'm trading him, you're paying full price. So so if someone you know came and like you know I'm trying to think of an example who he would have been ranked around at that time, you know, again, like Bo Bichette, Jordan Alvarez type, like, obviously, yeah, like I would be fine, you know, moving off Kelnick at that point, but, but I really want, you know, that, that high end return from him. I think again, just alluding to these dynasty rankings a bit, I think, you know, middle of the season before the season, he was like a top 25 overall dynasty player. And now I just think he's a little closer to the top 50 is also not a huge move down. I think he needs to be bumped down a tad, but you know, I like the I, I like the way you said it. He's a he's a baby, and the voice he said it was very nice. Uh, one more hitter on our he's list. He's only slightly yeah. younger than you. <laughs> one more hitter on our list. Uh, another player who was quite hard to figure out this year is Cody Bellinger. Obviously, like he in dynasty leagues entering this past season was like a top ten player. Even coming off the little bit odd twenty twenty, he did, if you recall, have the off season shoulder injury and it feels like he's always changing his swing like he won mvp in 2019 and then the whole storyline was oh i'm gonna change my swing now uh by the end of the season he was only playing against righties like he had literally become a platoon player he made 16.1 million in arbitration this year i was reading a piece on the athletic just talking about the dodgers as a whole and they made the point like if he was playing for a team like cleveland or tampa bay they would non-tender him like that is the point where obviously I don't expect the Dodgers to do that because of their Dodgers, but like that's how bad Bellinger was. Um, and Bellinger thoughts in, in Dynasty Leagues. I actually have him in one league and I'm going to hold him, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I'm not as out as I am on Yelich. I think there's more potential for him to bounce back. I do think 2019 was like an outlier in his career. I don't think. 
I, and I don't, I just don't think he's a 300 hitter. Like I think what you're hoping for or what I'm expecting, maybe not expecting, but like he strikes me as like a 260, 30 plus home run player. And I think that's fine. I just think 2019 was ridiculous. And I just don't just like, like, like you were saying, like they were sitting him against lefties. I just don't think he's going to be that, you know, just like looking at his swing and how he sells out for power. He just doesn't look like a 300 hitter. And throughout his career, that's like the only time he really was. I think he's more, I mean, even 2017, he had 39 home runs and batted 267. I think 30 home runs, 260 average is what you're hoping for if you're holding him in Dynasty. And I think that's fine. And he's, it feels like he's a lot older than he is because he's, you know, been in the league for a while and he's been banged up, but he's still only like 26. And so he feel, he feels like, like he's Yelich's age, like he's like turning 30, but he's not. And so the injuries concern you. The performance definitely concerns you, but I'm definitely more optimistic about him than I am about Yelich. I just don't think we're ever going to see that MVP Bellinger again. Yeah. And I think the more that we, the farther away we get from 2019 in particular, like we're going to look at that as like the absolute apex of the juice ball era, especially if uh, MLB keeps these new balls and they're trying to, you know, relegate everything. So it's normal year over year and whatnot. So I think, you know, a lot of 2019 numbers, we're going to start looking a little at differently in hindsight. And yeah, for Bellinger, I still think he has that athleticism that I kind of question whether or not Yelich has anymore. His, his 2019 hard hit percentage was 49.2% and 2021 is 30.8%. So almost a 20% drop. That is so insane. Uh, two pitches I had, I found it a little bit tougher to look for some interesting pitchers to talk about. One, I think we can go a little quicker on him is Jack Flaherty. And I just wanted to point him out. I just think he's like a screaming buy one in 2022 redraft leagues, but also in keeper and dynasty. Cause you look at, uh, he had the insane 2019 and then 2020, the Cardinals remember had a bunch of COVID stuff going on and he really got derailed by that. And then in 2021, he was limited to 78 innings. It was oblique and shoulder problems, but the good news is like, there was no major shoulder issue. It's not like, Oh my God, like, is he going to be healthy entering next year or anything? Like he was fine by the end of the season. He's still just 26. He's been a workhorse before he, this guy to me is just, you know, a buy, buy, buy. Yep. Yep. And for all those reasons, you're saying he was a buy for me going into uh, this season. Uh, I have a bunch of shares of him. Big fan of his. I like him a lot. Um, I'm a little worried now heading into 2022 if we're talking like if we're talking dynasty absolutely i am a little worried about how many innings he's going to throw in 2022 since he only threw like 78 this year and 40 last year he did throw almost 200 in 2019 but like is he going to bounce right back and throw 200 probably not but um i think if you can get 150 innings and like 180 190 strikeouts out of him and maybe an era around 3 or low 3s that's pretty good. You see, you mentioned concern about the innings. I think, you know, as we start fully going in to 2022 talk, you know, later in January or whatnot, that you could make that case for you. You could say that sentence for like literally every single pitcher, except like half a dozen or something, because uh, only four pitchers in 2021 threw 200 innings, which is insane. 
Yeah, but I mean, he only threw like in the seventies. Yeah, there I, were a ton of people coming into twenty twenty one. We were worried about because we were there. Even like the top pitchers were like through 50 innings or through 60 innings in, in 2020. So we were like, how many innings are these guys going to throw? I don't know. So that's another reason why they're so low. So we're building back up. But at least if you have like a guy through like 125 innings, you can project like 160, 170. Flaherty through 78. So I don't, are we going to expect a hundred inning jump? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's something to factor in. Absolutely. And then the final guy I had here who I think is like really interesting to value. Again, we, we've someone who we talked about a lot for 2022, but in Dynasty Keeper Leagues as well is Robbie Ray. And just because, you know, the the breakout was it was enormous. It was kind of out of nowhere. He's burned so many people before. I think a lot of people are going to point at him. <laughs> just the faces you're making are making me laugh. But I think a lot of people are going to point at him again for because he had burned people so often before. They're going to you know, say that this is like the biggest sell high of all time. I do think there might be some validity to the idea that 2021 was going to be his best season of his career. You know, that's that's not an uncommon thing to say, I don't think. I'm a little bit more willing to buy in, especially in, in keeper leagues. But I'll let you... Uh, go before before I finish my thoughts on him. Yeah, I think he's a really good one to talk about here because, like, he's burned so many people <laughs> and he was so good this year, and he burned so he was so bad in twenty twenty. And we've seen like he's just been so volatile that even the people who are buying in, that's in the back of their mind. Like they're like, "Bad Robbie Ray is still in there," and I've seen it, and it's bad, and so he's always kind of been this like strikeout darling that people were like, I don't care if he has a four and a half ERA, he's going to strike out 200 guys and I'll live with the rest. And, you know, the whip is always going to be bad. Well, everything was great in 2021. Like the whip was 105. The ERA was 284. The strikeouts, 248. There's is there any way he replicates this season? And if not, is anywhere close to that still worth it? Or are we headed for major regression? And it's really hard to say because it's it, even with him, you can like do all of the research that you want because everyone did going into this year. And he just seems like he's like that pitcher who's like one bad tweak away from he's bad Robbie Ray again. And so it's really hard to, to kind of like, even like know what's going to happen, even with regardless of how much studying you do and how much you read about him. Bad Robbie Ray's in there somewhere. Yeah. I think it's important to, for someone like Ray and really any players understand like why a player broke out. Like, was it, you know, unsustainable BABIP? Was it, you know, a, a change in their pitch mix or what it was for, for Ray, it seemed like, you know, it was like mechanical, something about the blue Jays, wh whatever they did with him, they just got his mechanics fully in line and he was just able to control the ball more. And, you know, his stuff is obviously so good. So once he started controlling it better, uh, people couldn't hit it and it just like built on itself. So that is something where to your point, you know, one mechanical tweak goes wrong. He's struggling to discover it again. And, you know, it, it could be, you know, a month's worth of bad Robbie Ray starts. I should know this, but is he, is he a free agent this year or is he, is he still with the blue Jays for at least one? I year? will look, but I want to say he's under contract for another year. 
because that's like the type thing where, you know, the Blue Jays are the ones who fixed him. So if he stays with the Blue Jays, even though it's the AL East and Rogers Center and all that stuff, just like the comfort level of like, if he gets off track, maybe the Blue Jays could get him back on track. You know what I mean? As opposed to if he would go to another team. He's he's a free agent, but I imagine he's going to get a qualifying offer. All right. Yeah. So I would prefer that he stays with the Blue Jays for that reason. But but again, anyways, just, you know, little game theory. Well, if he leaves the Blue Jays, I'm out. <laughs> Unless he goes to like the Giants, I'm out. Yeah. Like game theory wise, though, like we said about he's burned so many people before. So like I sometimes think, I don't know, I maybe like outsmart myself with like in you, there's a lot of buy low and sell high talk. I kind of think like. Some of the leagues I'm we're playing in, like we're, we're we've moved past that. Like everyone knows, like in back in May, Kyle Tucker was a buy low. You know what I mean? It's like it's uh, so you can't actually buy low on him. So like I sometimes pivot to trying to buy high if I think the player's value can go even higher, or sell low, like in the case of Yelich, if I think it can go even lower. And that's why I think you know Ray is so interesting to discuss because I would almost argue he's a buy high. If someone thinks that they're selling high and trading me Ray in a dynasty keeper league where I kind of think, you know, one thing about him is like a good dynasty keeper leagues. We're often talking about a lot of these younger pitchers who don't throw as many innings as you, as we discussed with Flaherty, but like Ray is going to be like a workhorse. So like, even if there's some regression, I still think the volume he gives you plus, you know, hopefully the regression isn't too much. I think, uh, I don't know, add it all up. And he, I just, he's a buy high for me. I'm trying to think of what, like a, I hate like being put on the spot or putting people on the spot with like a like a comparable trade offer for Ray. Yeah, I mean, we're so like, we're so bad at it. We talked talks and Sixers, and then I made a, a Kelsey Kyle Pitts comparison, and uh, exactly. so, so clearly we should have had those uh, planned out ahead of time. I'm trying to think like if we're talking like a young pitcher dynasty, since this is a dynasty podcast, are you trading Josiah Gray for Ray, or is that too steep? No, I, I, I would, I would definitely do that. I think we talked, really? we just talked about all the, uh, <laughs> we just talked about all the, you know, the value of prospects and younger pitchers. If I was a competing team, I would definitely, uh, that is something that I personally would do. So I already and, had that as a no, and I was going to ask other lesser pitchers and get a yes. And so now I don't even have to worry about asking if you would, you know, trade Tariq Skubal for him because I know that you would. I wish that you had Robbie Ray in a <laughs> in one of our leagues and I, I could trade for him right now, but I don't uh, believe that alas. I do. I did trade him at the deadline in our keeper league though. Okay. All right. So, uh, but I couldn't okay. keep him anyway. So it was just, you know, a rental trade. <laughs> so we're a little over 50 minutes here. You know, I think that we have, um, I don't want to say overstayed our welcome. I think we've stayed our welcome the right amount. This felt very natural and, and free flowing. And as all podcasts with you, Oh, there is dude. sorry I, as you as you're talking about free flowing i'm gonna interrupt you um <laughs> there is a question in the chat that i wanted to to mention uh jp34 you know friend of the podcast asks if we think um teams will stick with six-man rotations or more teams i don't i think we're going the other direction with four-man rotations and you know these not even necessarily like opener bullpen games, but like with, with the days off that are built in now, I think more teams are, you know, going with like four men rotations and like a fifth starter who's more of like a swing starter. And especially when you start looking at, I mean, this is not really like dynasty baseball podcast topics, but like when you start talking about how baseball doesn't have a salary cap and teams like the Rays have to get creative. And so they tried paying, you know, 
building up the front end of their rotation and then filling out the rest with like, you know, high end bullpen arms. And then, you know, those kind of like filler starters. And I think you're going to see more of that just, and, and what we talked about before, I think part of that is because really good starting pitching is hard to find now. And so I don't think we're going to six man rotations. I think if anything going the other way, you kill me, Mike. Cause again, I could go, you know, 15 more minutes on this topic and just macro level trends and, and baseball as a whole, but you know, we will see uh, what comes of this. If we are allowed to do this again this offseason i am hopeful i do think that anyone listening whether it is on uh the fantasy pros youtube mlb page or just wherever podcasts can be found on spotify if you follow the pod on apple pods if you subscribe and leave a comment or leave a review if you mention specifically the offseason episodes that would go a long way reach out to us on twitter i am at too much tuma mike is at at mike Mayor Dan is at at Dan Harris 80, just letting us know that you listened, that you enjoyed it. It really does go a long way, especially when we are pushing for more baseball content during the off season. Again, JP 34 chiming in saying, cool, very interesting conversation. I appreciate that JP 34. Please, please jump in. And I haven't looked in a couple weeks, but for a really long time, the last comment on the Apple podcast review page was after Joe left leading off after Joe abandoned us. And someone said something along the lines of like, Oh, the podcast is still really good. You really need to pull Joe back in. And first off that's bananas. And second off, how dare you? And so someone <laughs> yeah, else so added a new some, review. So I don't have to see that anymore. We need to get some new reviews on there uh, to kind of filter that down. So again, kind of going off what JP 34 said, Mike, like I, like all seriousness and all seriousness, like I really enjoyed this again, you know, more macro level conversation with you. I hope you're doing well. I know you're busy as, as we all are, but it was nice just to take an hour out of our evening and, and talk some baseball, some fantasy baseball, some dynasty leagues. I enjoyed it. Me too. Anytime. Well, not anytime. Cause I'm going to say no a lot, but. Again, at some point, for sure. Okay. All right. This is, uh, again, Brennan Tuma signing off for Mike Mayer and myself. This is the awkward sign-off portion of the show where I am talking and I have the mouse over end broadcast. And now I'm going to hit end broadcast and the show is over. <laughs> <laughs>